This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. So I'm joined today by Josh Feuerman, who is a CFA chart holder and managing director and senior U.S. equity strategist at J.P. Morgan. Josh has over 30 years of financial service industry experience, and he's served as a chief risk officer, managed a market neutral hedge fund, and has served on the investment committee for several large asset managers. So truly a uh, diversified wealth of investment knowledge. So very excited to be here with you today, Josh. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So to to kind of uh, kick off this conversation, we're going to talk uh, broadly about market outlook, the election leading up to the election, and then after the election. But you know, given your um, background and uh, you know knowledge base, I, I the question I get from clients all the time, and I'm sure you hear it as well, is why is there such a disconnect between the economy and the stock market? Yeah, and so the, you know, the stock market is not designed to represent the U.S. economy. Right, because if you think about the U.S. economy, we're a service-driven economy. We go to restaurants, we get on airplanes, we go to movie theaters. That's what really drives the U.S. economy. The stock market has, you know, a very heavy exposure to technology and you know, financials as well. So only 13% of the U.S. workforce works for companies that are in the S&P 500. of the workforce are for companies that are not in the S&P 500. So you do get this difference between the economy and the stock market. So if we put it into perspective, the reason why the economy is doing so poorly is really coming down to social distancing. We can't go to restaurants. We can't go to movies. We can't get on airplanes or we're limited as well. So if we look at the percentage of the economy that's impacted or the industries that are impacted by social distancing, they're about 20% of the economy. So as I was saying, it's a big part of the economy. If we look at the people who are employed by the, those industries that are impacted by social distancing, it's 20%, 20% of the U.S. workforce. That's why unemployment is so high. But those industries make up less than 10% of the earnings for the S&P 500. So because the S&P 500 of the stock market has a large exposure to technology and to finance, right? maybe pun intended, those industries are COVID-19 immune. And if you think about (laughs) it, the more we stay at home, Right, the more we use technology, it's better for those industries. Social distancing has actually been helping out the industries that are a big part of the stock market. That's why the stock market has been doing so well when the economy has been doing so poorly. So there's almost like an inverse correlation going on there. <laughs> yep. Yes, unfortunately, the, the worse the virus gets, the better it is for Amazon, because I'm expecting two more packages as we speak from Amazon Prime as well. Um, so that's the problem is every single day I see the guy show up with the little smiley box on my front steps, right? So that's good for Amazon, bad for my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, can definitely empathize with that. I think we know all the Amazon uh, delivery people as well. So, 
it's it's a new economy, right? Exactly right. Yeah, I think I think a lot of those figures are pretty shocking, but definitely helps give some context behind why there is such a contrast, which I think can then lead into market outlook. Because I think a lot of people think, how can you even think about the outlook when we're in the middle of this crisis and everything's affected and everybody's affected? But you know, the truth is there's a lot of um, industries and the market that aren't affected and that in fact are doing um, even better. Josh, you've identified three stages to the market outlook, concerns and timeframes, along with expectations of what might happen during those stages. Can you talk to me a little bit about those? Yeah, and so when I think about the market outlook, I almost think about it like a play, and it's like any play, it has multiple acts, right? So when I think about the market outlook, the, the first act runs from today until we get clarity on two things. We need to know who the president is going to be. And we need to know the date next year or the approximate date next year when we could achieve herd immunity from COVID-19. Because going back to that previous question, it's not until we get herd immunity that we can really rapidly open up the economy again and move back towards normal. Now, this seems like a weird statement to make. But to a degree, the market doesn't care who wins the election, the presidential election. It just wants to know who's going to win. Because there's one thing the stock market hates more than anything else. And the one thing the stock market hates more than anything else is uncertainty. The market can deal with difficulty This market is forward-looking. So to your point, why is the stock market doing so well when the economy is doing so poorly? And even corporations are doing so poorly this year because the market is forward-looking. And the issue – so the market could look through the difficulty of COVID-19 and know things are going to get better next year. right? The market cannot look through the election yet because it doesn't know who's going to win. And the fact is the market does fine. Whether or not there's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, and whether or not the Democrats or Republicans control Congress, under any scenario, the market does fine. The scenario under which the market doesn't do quite as well is a divided government when the Congress and White House are split. And the reason why is uncertainty, right? In a divided government, you don't know what's going to get passed. And when it's going to get passed, just look at the stock market for the last week, right? Every time they talked about a stimulus package, the market went up. And every time the stimulus package didn't happen, the market goes down. That's what happens in an uncertain environment. It's crazy if you think about that, that that is single-handedly exactly what has been influencing the market on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And so the market doesn't really care. And so realistically, a stimulus package at this point is probably not going to get passed to the other side of the election. Depending upon what the election looks like, that will impact the timing of a stimulus package as well as the size as well. But the market doesn't really care if it's going to be Trump again or if it's going to be Biden. It just wants to know which one of those guys it's going to be. So the uncertainty will end and it can start looking forward. Again, now, just to finish up on the election, at least in Act 1, as we think about it, right? which is that normally we wake up Wednesday morning and we know who the president of the United States is. I should say the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, 
we know who the president of the United States is going to be. I'm just saying Wednesday after Thanksgiving, Wednesday after Election Day, right? We wake up. This time, right, due to all the mail-in voting, there's a high probability that we're not going to know who the president is on Wednesday morning, and the market's not going to like that because that's uncertainty as well. If the market could speak, the market would say, I don't care if it's going to be President Trump or Biden. I just want to to know which one of these guys it is. So if the market could speak its mind, it would say, I hope this election is a blowout one way or the other in the Electoral College for one of these two guys, because the worst thing would be a contested election. In November of 2000, which was the Bush and Gore cycle, the market pulled back 10% until the Supreme Court stopped the Florida recount on December 8th of 2000. But remember, for those of you old enough to remember, back in 2000, we had to dial up to access the internet, and we didn't have smartphones. It's a lot easier now to trade stocks and options on the fly. And in a contested election, I'm concerned that you're going to see a lot of volatility until we know who the president's going to be. Yeah. And, you know, I think to your point, the biggest thing that is so unusual about this election is is really um, the number of mail-in votes that we're going to have. I mean, I don't I don't even know if there's a historical reference um, from that. And it must be so long ago that it would hardly be comparable anyways. But, you know, I think to your point, that is definitely what is going to cause more of a delay than anything. And if it is a big blowout, then there's not you know, much to contest. So hopefully we all move on with our lives. But either either way, I think what another thing that's interesting that you guys have done research on is that people tend to feel more negative about the economy and the future outlook of the markets, depending on their political affiliation. And if the other political affiliation is in power. And so I just, yep. you know, I, I find that to be very interesting because then it, it a lot of times leads to this negative sentiment, which leads to inaction with investing, which then ultimately, according to your research, leads to leaving a lot of money on the table based on, you know, more political uh, negative sentiment. So um, <laughs> I, I uh, definitely find that to be very interesting. Yeah, the stock market is acting and reacting, or people tend to act and react as if, if this guy wins, the market's taken off. And if this guy wins, the market's getting clobbered. And the reality is that may be a short-term phenomenon, right? To your point, oh, my guy lost, so I'm getting out of the stock market. But ultimately, this is about making money. And corporations make money over time. And that's why I said, you know, corporations will figure out how to make money under a President Biden. They've already figured out how to make money under a President Trump. They just need to know which one of those guys it's going to be so they can figure out what the roadmap is to profitability and making money as well. In Act One, the first point is that we need to get clarity on who is the president. What's the second key factor in Act One? Okay, so we mean we need two things before act two begins. First, we have to know who the president is. And the second one, we need to know, you know, when can we achieve herd immunity from COVID-19? So just to make sure we're all on the same page, herd immunity from a virus happens when 60 to 80% of the population is immune. Now, you've probably all read about stories about people getting COVID-19 twice. And there was just a study that came out that said that people who are asymptomatic 
exposures to COVID-19, which means you were exposed to it, but you didn't really develop any bad symptoms about it, your immunity or your antibodies only seem to last about three months or so. So what that really means is in order for us to achieve herd immunity from COVID-19, and when we get herd immunity, we could open the economy up again, and then you know, we start to move back to normal very quickly. We can't do that till we get herd immunity. In order for us to get herd immunity, it's going to require a vaccine. Right? And that means 60 to 80% of the population is probably going to need to get vaccinated. Right? You're talking about vaccinating 180 to 240 million people, and that's going to take some time. Realistically, we're probably not going to achieve herd immunity until next summer or maybe the end of next year. So that has economic impacts. But remember, the market is forward-looking. So the market just needs to know, hey, we could get a herd immunity by Labor Day of next year, and then the market could once again become forward-looking. Now, we don't have to get to Labor Day of next year. We just have to know that that's a possibility. So we're hopeful that by Thanksgiving, even though that seems to be a bit of a stretch, maybe around Christmas or early January, some of these vaccines that you've been reading about would have had enough data accumulated that they would be able to say, look, we're seeing good results from our data. So we're going to submit our findings to the FDA. The FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA will take about a month or so to review the data. Then we can begin that inoculation process. So that's why I said Act 1 is really measured in probably weeks or maybe months. It's not very long. Then we go to Act 2, where I'm super bullish on stocks. The reason why I'm super bullish on stocks is we've seen this act of the play before. It just ends a little bit differently this time. What do I mean by that? I'll cut to the chase. There is $4.3 trillion sitting in money market funds, liquidity funds right now. Um, we've seen a trillion dollars go into these funds just this year alone. And if you think about it, if you think about what you earn on a money market fund, and then subtract out inflation from that, that $4.3 trillion is losing money every single second on an inflation-adjusted basis. So a big part of that money doesn't want to be there. It's just too afraid to leave because we all know Murphy's Law says the second you take your money out of a money market fund and put it into the stock market, that's the day the bottom falls out of the market. right? So a big chunk of that $4.3 right doesn't want to leave money market funds until we get to the end of Act 1. Now, the reason why I said we've seen this before, we saw the exact same thing happen in 2007 and 2008. During periods of uncertainty and fear, people always run to cash. Last time, we saw a trillion dollars go into these funds as well. In 2009, the picture started getting better. It took four years for the economy to recover. Remember, I told you the market hates uncertainty. It can deal with difficulty. Last time when Act 1 ended, interest rates were a heck of a lot higher. So last time when Act 1 ended, the money came out of liquidity funds and went to bond funds. This time, due to the low interest rate environment, I think the money is going to come out of the liquidity funds and it's going to go to the stock market. And I think the market's going to take off like a rocket as well. That's why I'm bullish on stocks in Act 1. And to a degree, and we can come back to this as a follow-up question if you, if you want, to a degree, how long Act 1 runs is somewhat affected by the election, but really not 100% as well. So talk to me a little bit 
about that. Okay. So we've got this wave of liquidity sitting in money market funds, right? That really wants to get out of the money market funds and come to the stock market. So, you know, we're all East Coast people, but I've surfed before in my life. I'm actually a much better snow. I've been snow skiing for 40 years. I stick at surfing, but I know from surfing, you don't wait for the wave to pass you, right? You got to start paddling in advance, right? So we think the wave is coming to the stock market. How long the wave could last is somewhat influenced by the election. So why do I say that? If President Trump is reelected, it's four more years of the same policies, which have been good for the economy and good for the stock market. So realistically, Act 2 might make it all the way to 2024, which is the next presidential election year. We have to do a reality check in November of 2022, because that's the midterm elections, and we don't know what Congress is going to look like as well. So Act 2 has some good legs to it. People seem to be acting and reacting that if Biden wins, and just to be clear, this is still an if, right? While he's leading in the popular votes, the Electoral College is too close to call. But people seem to be acting and reacting as if the second Biden's hand was to come off the Bible, swearing to the presidential oath of office, taxes were immediately going up. Right. <laughs> right. That's the fear, yeah. right? That's the fear, but it's just probably not going to happen. Why? For a couple different reasons. First, Biden's economic advisor, it says next year is all about COVID-19. It's about getting the virus under control and getting people back to work. If corporations are finally rehiring workers, if you raise their tax rates, they'll hire fewer workers. And that's bad towards getting people back to work. What you want to do is you want to wait till corporations have hired everyone they're going to then raise taxes. That's point number one. Point number two, even if Biden is elected with a blue wave, there are not enough Senate seats contested this cycle for the Democrats to end up with a three-fifths majority in the Senate. That would be 60 seats. With a three-fifths majority, the Democrats or anyone who has a three-fifths majority in the Senate, you could pass any legislation you want without any bipartisan support. But that's not going to be the case. So realistically, the Democrats and the Republicans are going to have to play nice. They don't have a great history of doing that. Also, remember, not every Democrat is a socialist, right? So there are moderate Democrats who don't want necessarily a major package. So there's going to be some horse trading involved. That's going to take time. And you know, this, this is going to shock you, so be prepared for this. I don't want to shock the people. So everyone take a deep breath. Do you realize sometimes politicians say things just to get elected, but they don't even follow up? I know that's shocking because I always consider politicians the second most honest people I know next to used car salesmen. Right? <laughs> the reason why I share that is that there's data going back to the Nixon administration. And we got to remember that laws in the United States are made in Congress, not the White House. The White House may beat a drum on an issue, but Congress has to determine if it's going to dance to the beat. So going back to the Nixon administration, if you look at the percentage of White House initiatives, so the White House says, I want ABC written as law. Now it's got to make it through the House and it's got to make it through the Senate and it comes out the other end. The percentage of White House initiatives that make it through Congress 
unadulterated or undiluted on average is 5%. And the highest percentage ever was 8%. And that was under Clinton, Reagan, and George W. So 90% of the stuff that's talked about on a presidential campaign trail either doesn't get done or it gets diluted or watered down when it goes through Congress as well. So the election is too close to call. Even if you knew Biden was going to be elected, you can't really do anything about it because you don't know if tax reform is going to be passed, when it's going to be passed. And the final point I'll make about taxes is I'm doing this call from Connecticut, right? My tax rate, my statutory tax rate went down under the 2017 tax plan. The check I cut to the IRS went up. And I can tell you all, it wasn't because I made a heck of a lot more money last year. It had to do with the fact that I lost my deductions. I lost part of my state and local tax deduction and part of my mortgage deduction. So personally, I want to go back to the old tax code where I was paying a higher percentage rate, but a lower check to the IRS. So even saying taxes, the tax percentage rates are going to go up, you can't even do anything with that information because you don't know what's going to happen with the deductions and the exemptions as well. That's right. And I, you know, I think there's been a lot of advocacy um, on, you know, this salt. So, you know, state and um, state taxes and local taxes that a lot of people in Connecticut were in Maryland pay um, very high taxes in those areas. And yeah, they're no longer, well, they are a deduction, but they're capped um, at a relatively low amount uh, for, for people that pay high taxes in, in those areas. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's definitely hard hard to tell. So I guess, you know, I know that the taxes go is, is a part of your third kind of act. So talk to me a little bit more about the third act. Yeah, the reality is that at some point in time, we should expect taxes to go up. And the reason basically comes back to the fact the federal government is just borrowing so much money that eventually we got to pay it back. So if you look at the size of the debt the federal government has built up, it's 100% of our gross domestic product right now. It's basically at the exact same level it was at the end of World War II, right? And World War II was the highest level it's ever been in our history. But the only time we ever see spikes in the debt relative to GDP is around wars as well. So ultimately, we have to get our debt back under control, right? And that really only happens one of two ways. The first one is we figure out a way to get Congress to stop spending so much money, right? Good luck doing that. We haven't been able to do that in decades, right? Or the second one is we should expect taxes to go up in order to pay off some of this debt. If we don't pay off the debt, right, what happens is that interest rates will go up. Because think about your next door neighbor, right? If they ask to borrow money, if they ask to borrow 20 bucks, right, you may give them the 20 bucks and say, don't worry about it, just pay me the 20 bucks back, right? The fifth, sixth, eighth time they come back and they don't pay you back, one, why are you lending them that much money? But two, you're going to charge them a higher and higher interest rate. Right, the more right, you start debt to worry, we build up. Yeah, so the larger the debt is, the more worrisome it is, right? About whether or not the U.S. government's going to pay you back. So, in order to take on that risk, you're going to demand the higher interest rates. Well, why do we care? 
If the interest rate the federal government is paying goes higher, that means the interest rates we all pay on our mortgages go higher. It means the interest rates we all pay on our credit card debt goes higher, and that slows down economic activity. So ultimately, we should expect taxes to go up, but remember that they only tax you on what you earn, right? So if taxes go up, it does not mean our earnings are going to be negative, because think about it. If they taxed, if the tax rate was 100% of what you earned, you'd stop working, right? You have no incentive to work, right? They only tax you on what you earn. And so if taxes go up, it means that we all may earn a little bit less, but it's not as though we're going to earn nothing, right? And it also means corporations may earn a little bit less, but it doesn't mean their earnings are going to be negative. And it means stock market returns would be lower, but not negative as well. So should, we should anticipate taxes going up, which means we should anticipate lower corporate earnings, which means we should anticipate lower stock market returns. But that means we're just going to have to work that much harder in our retirement portfolios to get to our goals, right? We're going to have to potentially save a little bit more if returns are going to be lower. And that money that we save, we're going to have to work a little bit harder with. We're going to have to be a little bit more nimble in terms of where we allocate those assets going forward. But luckily for the people on this phone call, that's what you pay a financial advisor for, right? You don't have to solve that problem on your own. Yeah, so so I guess just to to kind of summarize um, everything that that we've talked today uh, talked about today with um, the different acts and different outlooks. Stage one is who's going to be the president and when are we going to get herd immunity? I.e., when can people feel comfortable about going back and just living normal life? And then and act two is really okay. Lot of money that's sitting on the sidelines comes back in. And so, you know, there's not 100% clarity in terms of the time frame of those two because the market is forward looking. So, the closer we get to guidance and people feeling comfortable on that guidance for act 1, I mean, you could see the money enter into the market uh, a lot sooner, right? Again, the whole forward looking thing I know always throws people off. And then the third act and this isn't going to be immediate. I know the concern out there is that it's going to be immediate, but you know, not immediate, but within the next, let's say, couple years, at some point, taxes are more likely, let's just say that, than not to go up, right? And so in that third and final act, the kind of question is, what impact does that have? And what you're saying is the world's going to go on. So that's good news for everybody here listening. But, you know, the stock market might grow a little bit slower if corporations are taxed a little higher or, you know, people might end up paying out of pocket for their earned income a little bit more. But, you know, again, I, and I think everybody understands this, too. Conceptually, we can't just write um, check after check after check without at some point balancing our checkbook. Right. So, you know, that doesn't have to be a devastating uh, adjustment, though, I think is really kind of the point to take from this. So. All right. Well, you know what? I, I, I already feel better about the market outlook. I don't know about everybody else out there, but you know, it seems like there is, there, there is a lot that we could be looking forward to. And I, and I think actually probably most people feel the opposite. You know, there, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there and that's, that's really what the media gets paid to portray. So just wanted to be able to provide a little bit of a, a different outlook out there for you. And uh, thanks so much, Josh, for joining me today and stay safe, everyone. 
Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.